Welcome to Add Passion and Stir. I'm Billy Shore. I'm here with Dr. Clint Mitchell, who's a principal at an elementary school with the Fairfax County Public Schools. I think it's the Mount Vernon Woods School. That's, that's correct. Uh, Dr. Mitchell, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. Uh, and Chef Zachary Mills. Zach Mills, who's been a Share Our Strength supporter and is with a great restaurant in Baltimore called Wit and Wisdom, part of Michael Mina's restaurant group. We're thrilled to have you, Zach. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I especially love this combination of, uh, of of the conversation because we're constantly talking about the intersection of food and education, uh, how important it is. And Dr. Mitchell has been a champion for us of, of talking about the importance of kids coming to school uh, well-fed. So to have both of you, a chef of your caliber, Zach, uh, who's been involved with Share Our Strength and an educator like you, Dr. Mitchell, is really really a treat for us. So thanks. Um, I want Since we're talking about food and we've got some in front of us and you guys should feel free to th- dig th- in. Thanks for the treat. Uh, <laughs> we've got treats from um, Buttercream Bake Shop. Zach, uh, we were talking a little bit about how you got to be a chef. It seemed like you were destined to be a chef. There was n- almost never anything else in the picture. You had a passion for food and uh, kind of an Italian family rooted in uh, food culture uh, that sent you in that direction. But tell us how you got started. No question. Um, I my upbringing, I'm just very fortunate. Uh, my family's very, very close uh, from aunts, uncles, grandmothers, whole nine yards. My On my father's side, uh, my grandmother is um, uh, first-generation Italian. Uh, her mother was from Calabria. Uh, her father was from Sicily. So most of my early food memories are like my grandmother kind of teaching my mother the like secret Italian family recipes and <laughs> and then I was always in the kitchen uh, pretty much permanently that's where everybody ended up that was just growing up it was a party in the kitchen every day so very very fortunate that I just grew up around food and support and uh, and cooking so yeah started cooking very very early on in my years um, I learned that I e- ate way more than the rest of my family <laughs> so I couldn't like eat everything for dinner so I had to learn how to cook some more stuff so I could keep eating um, and yeah so just went from there went through school started kind of figuring out that the desk job world and things like that weren't going to be my thing. Food Network started blowing up. I started watching Food Network a lot. Chefs were becoming celebrities. They, 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 yeah, like, you know, the early years of Bobby Flay and Mario Batali and Emeril. And I, I just started watching that stuff. And I was doing restaurant jobs as summer jobs uh, uh, in high school. It just took. Went to culinary school and uh, at the French Culinary Institute in New York City and fell in love pretty much day one and and couldn't believe I was going to school and cooking. And then still to this day, uh, I I forget it's a job. I I show up every day, I cook, all of a sudden a paycheck comes and I say, oh yeah, that's right, I get paid to do this. So I'm I'm very, very fortunate. It's amazing for how many chefs' grandmothers are such a influential factor. I've heard this so many times. No question. Yeah, it it goes back generationally. And I think it's one of those things that a lot of chefs that I talk to I think we're just fortunate that in this day and age, it's a thing now, and we can become chefs and make a good living, and 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 also make a difference. And and where did, what was your first job as a chef professionally? Uh, professionally, so um, I, I I was in and out of some New York City restaurants um, while I was in school. 
then I was very fortunate to move home uh, right when I graduated and worked for a place called the Inn at Easton in Easton, Maryland, um, that is now the Bartlett Pear Inn. Um, that chef, Andrew Evans, who actually owns uh, the barbecue joint in D.C., here in D.C., uh, up on U Street nowadays. So um, he got me my start, and then about a year in, he uh, he introduced me to the Four Seasons when they were opening the first Michael Mina restaurant in uh, uh, Bourbon Steak here in, uh, yeah, in Georgetown. DC, here in Georgetown. In and yep. nine years later, I'm still with the family. Well, I was saying to you earlier, the first time I walked into Bourbon Steak, uh, one of the things they have that comes with your steak is a little tray of three different kinds of French fries. And wow. man, I was hooked. That was not not that I needed three different platters of fries, but <laughs> something about yeah. those duck fat fries. People just yeah, love those things. Fries. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, those things are delicious. I kind of see them in my nightmares from plating them for so many years, but they are delicious. <laughs> um, Clint Mitchell, uh, you come from a, uh, an education background the way uh, Zach comes from a food background or were your, was your family involved in education at all? Well, you know, um, uh, it's interesting just listening to Zach there because, you know, I'm a food guy too. I love to eat. So, um, but food you know, culture, food I mean, culture, you grew up in yeah, a food culture, grew up in a food culture Where? You know, in, the, in the Caribbean, yeah, you know, what part of the Car- uh, in, Caribbean, in St. Lucia. Oh, in St. Lucia. Uh-huh, yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. And so my, my grandparents, grandfather, oh, that is a food culture. Yeah. yeah big cooks. And, um, you know, and it's, it's not, it's nice, um, being in a DC metro area. I came from New York city prior to coming here and. Uh, trying to find a little holes in the wall in terms of Caribbean food, and um, so it's always a journey. So I look forward to that. But I definitely got to come and visit your restaurant. Oh, I yeah. hope so. In, Please in do for Please sure, do. for sure. Yeah, but uh, with my background, um, you know, my mom always wanted to be a teacher, but it never happened for her. And she left me when I was pretty young. I was about uh, about a year, uh, and my grandparents kind of raised me in the Caribbean. Mm-hmm. And so for like 14 years, um, she moved between Canada and the U.S. And, um, and teaching never really happened for her because she never got a chance uh, to go to college. Um, and, you know, it was not my goal to be in education, really. I started off, I came to the U.S. in 89. and Did you come about, to Virginia? No, I did or? not. I actually started my um, early days in New York City as a student. Okay. I went to Brooklyn College, City University of New York, and I really wanted to be a lawyer. You know, I uh, spent a year in law school and... Where, where uh, were you in law school? Uh, Brooklyn Law, uh-huh. you know, and then I, um, I I met this professor, man, and he was just inspirational. He was like, I wanted to be like him, you know, be a law professor and teach at the college level. And he was like, try teaching middle school, see if you're going to like it. And I walked in the first day, my first job, and I fell in love with it. And where I where was that? That was in Brooklyn. Um, that was uh, Brownsville. Uh, what they call it, uh, 394. Yep. So uh, this is New York Public Schools. Yes, correct. That's a tough first job. The tough first job, <laughs> man. I, I remember my first day, my first day on the job. Whew, I, I you started myself, as an assistant principal or as no, a teacher? As no, a no, teacher. no. I was a civics and economics American history teacher. Okay. And I walked in. It was a group of kids. They had been... They've had like three or four teachers for the year, and I was this guy out of college, never taught before, and I was like, what in the world? How old were they? What and grade? they were seven and eighth graders. Ooh, so we're talking about- the toughest of all. Yeah, 12, 13-year-old <laughs> kids. And um, my first year at that particular school, like I said earlier, they had had you know, two, three teachers for the year. And I remember walking in, I was out of college, and, and you know, I always greeted the kids at the door. And they tell you- Meet the kids at the door, and I always say, hey, good morning, boys and girls. Uh, your warm-up is on the board. And I remember this young lady, I remember her vividly. 
and um, I was in the doorway, and she said, I'm not doing that. And I said, I repeated the statement, a warm up is on the board, please get started. And um, and then she said, well, I'm not doing any work today. Uh, I don't have to listen to you. And I said, again, repeat one more time, warm up is on the board. And so I stood in the doorway in front of her path, and man, she gave me one shove on my chest. I fell on the um, on the floor, and your natural instincts come in as a human being, and your first thought is, whoa, I'm going to help defend myself. And all the kids are like, ooh, and she's standing on top of me. And I remembered uh, I called the office, and I called the principal at that school. Um, I won't mention the name, but I called her, and I told her what happened. Uh, she told me to come to the office uh, during my planning time, and I did. And she said to me, "You need to call the parent." And then, um, and then that same afternoon, the same kid was back in my class. Uh, no consequence. Nothing ever happened. She was back in my class, and um, and what? And I couldn't understand quite why the kid was back in my class. I don't know if she was trying to punish me or not, uh, but I knew I had to do something different. And right then and there. I decided that there had to be a reason why this kid was doing or did what she did. And so I just spent the time just getting to know the kid better. Um, and as I got to know her and spend the time to uh, really get to know who she was, uh, there were so many issues you could imagine. Hmm. And so for me, that was just a way of seeking attention. And once I built that relationship with her, um, yeah, she saw it in my class and um, it was the best thing I ever did. Uh, because then that led me to a journey of about uh, three years in New York, and then I moved to Virginia in 2001, you know, and I taught middle school in Virginia. And then about three years later, uh, in 2004, I started my journey in administration and supervision, and I really had no idea that I was going to do that. Uh, but I'm glad uh, my wife, Giovanni, pushed me to do it, met some great people along the way, and then um, for the past 12 years, I've been an elementary school principal. Uh, in Prince William and now in Fairfax. And how do you make that? I always wonder how you make that pivot because there's some teachers who teach their whole lives and then there's a lot of principals and assistant principals who obviously started as teachers. What yeah. what kind of made you decide to do that? You know, for me, you know, you had done so much in the classroom. You know, you impact kids. You impact the 25-plus kids in your classroom times four or five sections. So you figured about 125 kids a day you could make a difference in their lives. But I wanted to do something bigger, you know, and that is that how could I impact the life of 700, 800 kids? And to do that, you have to be the, the school principal really setting the vision and the mission in place and each year coming up with different initiatives. And so I wanted more. I wanted to just impact the lives of kids uh, more than just being a classroom teacher. And my wife kind of pushed me to it and I've never looked back since. Well, I want to come back and talk about who these kids are at your school and what some of their needs are. But um, I, I, was, I, was, I was talking to Zach beforehand because your restaurant has kind of a, a literary name. It's called Wit and Wisdom. And you were telling me this great story of uh, how it got that name, uh, actually going back to Thomas Jefferson. Yes. Um, yes. So talk about that a little so bit. So we wanted to, we knew when we were, we were building the restaurant that we wanted to do revive the true word of 
what a tavern is. And so the, the full name is Wit and Wisdom, a tavern by Michael Mina. And when we were thinking about, um, when, well, when Chef was thinking about doing a true tavern, he wanted to do all wood fire, which is a big thing with uh, Chef's Restaurant Group is doing a lot of wood fire grills and things like that. And we came across um, uh, books on Thomas Jefferson's uh, original kind of kitchen setup Mm -hmm. and his old cookbooks and all that stuff. And it's more for just kind of seeing what was still being what was being grown back then that either isn't isn't around anymore or is just coming back into into fruition. It's uh, it almost harkens back to why heirloom is a cool word nowadays an original strain of anything really um as far as well heritage would be for for animals heirloom for fruits vegetables produce things like that um just meaning that they are the originals they have not been cloned they have not been uh cross utilized and they met were meant to grow in this country uh different grains different uh peas uh it's mostly for the the cookbooks are cool for an ingredient standpoint more than anything and seeing what was more actually indigenous to this country before all the commercialization of food and uh, that's something so tr- it, true whole foods and natural foods it, right exactly. in the so, truest sense exactly and you and and it almost you've you've now got like cookbooks like that that inspired you know like your your ants and mills to come up with your heirloom grains nowadays and 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 tomatoes that were originally indigenous to the area and just all these beautiful produce that is truly american that a lot of people just don't even remember anymore that chefs are now chefs and farmers are now trying to revive i think that's really what the the thomas jefferson cookbook and a lot of the historic cookbooks have really kind of brought to life for us clint mitchell our connection is food uh, although a different kind of food because you've been such a powerful advocate for kids having meals yes you know school meals school breakfast school lunch healthy food. Mm -hmm. Uh, Talk to us about uh, why that's even necessary for the kids at your school, what kind of their backgrounds are, and maybe if you can give us some, uh, you know, you don't have to use their names, but talk to us about some kids that you have, you know, you've personally seen some of these kids, I know from hearing you before, struggle with, uh, you know, their hunger. Yeah, you know, um, so I've been fortunate, you know, to really work in two different, three different school divisions, and all three school divisions from New York to Prince William to Fairfax, uh, working with kids that, you know, from high, low socioeconomic backgrounds where the poverty level is between 85 to 95%. In the community. In the community. Mm-hmm. And, Below the poverty level. And absolutely. Yeah. And so with that poverty level, you know, food scarcity is a big thing. And, you know, I, you know that became a passion of mine when... I made the journey as a principal in Prince William and I had to be responsible for making sure that as a school principal, every child gets a meal, um, even if they qualify for the free and reduced lunch. Uh, And if they didn't qualify, some kids who just right above that poverty line who may not qualify, it's still a struggle for their parents. And so some of these kids, um, the parents maybe send them the same thing every day. And what happens is uh, on days they don't want to eat it and there's nothing to eat. So my job was to make sure that really we try to give each kid a hot meal. And so I delve into the idea of how can we find ways to feed every single child every single day. And so part of that work really is just 
um, working with community sponsors and coming up with uh, different ways to be creative and how you feed kids. Um, we, the school divisions, do a great job by uh, creating healthy, especially over the last um, 10 years, um, starting with the Obama presidency, changing menus in school. You know, you have obesity is just rampant in schools. And so we now seen a lot of salad bars. And so the good thing about that is kids want to eat. And so when they don't have the funds, what do you do? And so, you know, as a school principal, you know, we've opened what we call the principal's account. Um, and just recently, just last week, you know, we just um, uh, opened a business partnership with a local church who gave us uh, $500 to that principal's account. And the goal there is to really allow kids who don't traditionally eat every single day to eat a normal meal and then we replenish the account as we go. So there's money in the account that pays for the kids' meals, and these are kids whose meals would not be they would not be free. reimbursed. They wouldn't be free. No, family that makes about you know thirty-seven thousand dollars a year, uh, they're considered to be right at that poverty line. That'll if you put make them any, right above the poverty but line, right about if you make a little bit more than thirty-seven thousand dollars, that's considered above the poverty line, uh, and it's still a struggle for folks. And so, how do you watch your uh, classmate? Uh, with a hot meal or breakfast every single day, and then you are kind of filling for your um, lunchbox, and you're taking maybe a peanut butter jelly, and nothing wrong with that. Uh, I love peanut butter, but uh, but it's every day. Oh, so how, how, how does it play out in terms of the way these kids behave in school, do in school, that type of thing? You know, you know, I've I've spent some time talking about that. The biggest thing is, you know, you have kids who shut down. Uh, they come in, they're hungry. A lot of these kids. It's hard to get them started with their morning work. Uh, sometimes, um, you know, they bring this added pressure uh, to the classroom and, you know, they don't want to do the work. So then it becomes a behavior issue. Then, then a teacher wants to write a referral. They're distracted. And, yeah. and, and the teachers don't really take the time at all, uh, take the time to really get to know the background of the kids. And the kids being defined and they're in the office. And you find out the root of it is really because the kid is hungry and the kid didn't get a chance to eat breakfast and so as a school principal i want to eliminate that because our job is really to educate kids in this country and really if i can do my part to eliminate the fact that when a kid comes in they have something in front of them for lunch for breakfast and you know i think you know uh, we are well on our way to making sure that we change the culture at the school in terms of the learning process when, when you think about all the things that we depend on our schools and our principals to do and the notion that we would send kids to them when the kids are hungry and ask them to deal with that as well, it just seems insane. And I know, Zach Mills, because you've been involved with Share Our Strength, but you also mentioned, I think, earlier um, before we were on the air that you probably participate in 14 or 15 different you know, charitable activities a year. You get asked to do everything as a chef. What are some of the things that you're involved in? How do you decide uh, what issues matter the most to you personally? You know, it's 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 hard to like actually kind of pick one or the over the other, and and I think that's why I've kind of it, over the years I've pretty much said yes to everything. Um, you know, it's it's when you become a chef, nobody ever told me that I was going to have a chance to to do a lot of charity work. I didn't know that was kind of part of the gig, and then they started 
charities started popping up where chefs got involved because it was easy for us to throw a big party basically to raise money for different charities. And then over the years, um, you know, the big ones, obviously for me, No Kid Hungry and the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation of Maryland are the two that I, I do the most for both, both events or both charities. I do five ish events for each year um we have uh we just did chefs behind bars uh up in dc or up in my restaurant in wit how does chef behind Uh, chefs behind bars work so that's um that is six chefs and um i love the name chefs behind bars each chef gets a uh liquor sponsor so uh so no kid hungry gets uh pairs pairs us with liquor sponsors and instead of chefs making food for the event we make a cocktail which is an interesting thing because uh, I'm not a cocktail guy, so it was uh, definitely <laughs> more of a beer. Comfort zone, huh? Yeah, no question. And you have to kind of look at it almost as a chef when you kind of build a cocktail. Um, we bring in judges from from all over the place that are mostly bartenders that actually know what they're talking about and make fun of us for our mm-hmm. half poorly made drinks. Uh, but we we uh, bring in guests and basically do the same kind of deal. Instead of slinging food, we're making we're making a cocktail and then still obviously sending food out to make sure everybody's fed. But uh, So we do that every year for No Kid Hungry. We just did that two weeks ago, so that was successful. And then we're actually about to do uh, myself and Brian Voltaggio and a couple other chefs are going to do um, an oyster fest uh, up in Baltimore for No Kid Hungry as well next month. That's so, great. so yeah, we do a lot. Um, and how do you get connected to cystic fibrosis work? So that was that was just kind of happenstance. Um, I had a friend who needed help with a culinary event up in Baltimore um, the first year, the year before I became the executive chef of Wit and Wisdom, and I did the event, listened to the stories, uh, saw some really you know, inform, informative videos that kind of just kind of taught me a lot about everything that's going on with that foundation. And right away kind of knew that that was something that I wanted to champion a little bit. Um, and uh, Johns Hopkins up in Baltimore is just doing amazing work in the, their research for Cystic Fibrosis Foundation. There's no cure for cystic fibrosis right now, but there are great treatments um, and treatments are extending life every single year. So now we do three, four, almost four, maybe even five events a year for the Cystic Fibrosis mm-hmm. Foundation. I've been doing that for years. Were you able to visit a school? You talked about being on a share strength impact. Yes. Did you have a visit a, a school? Yes, we were. We it? were in Northern Virginia. We, okay. So, so, so you, was, you were right in Clint's territory. Yeah, in my neighborhood. Yes, huh? I was indeed. Yeah. Yes, we did that in February. I want to say. Yeah. What did? Oh, what was it like? It was amazing. It was. You know, I, I've been doing. Share, work for Share Our Strength and No Kid Hungry for years. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those things that as much as you read about it, until you see it and until you you get in the classrooms, you hear the teacher's stories, you hear the principal's stories. Um, we went to a grocery store and saw the Cooking Matters program, which I think was really impactful to it's the chef. kind chefs, of a nutrition chefs. education and grocery mm-hmm. shopping skills. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And um, there was just, we got to see the programs at work and got to see what the chefs are championing. Mm-hmm work and then we're also then explained you know what's not working and and it was i can still remember walking through the schools and seeing the kids and and sitting in the cafeteria and watching the after school snack program um and and some of the i mean the the everybody was so passionate about making sure that the children are fed and Mm -hmm. and 
it's completely understandable why. And it's just one of those things that the more that I got, I wanted to get more involved after that. It was just one of those things that both my sister and brother-in-law are educators. Uh, my sister works for St. John's here in D.C. My brother is uh, uh, brother-in-law is the president of St. Mary's uh, High School in Annapolis. Um, so it's, I just want to help everybody get as much food to children as humanly possible. Yeah, that's great. That's that's good to hear because you know, and hopefully one day we can invite you uh, invite you to our school. We know we in the past, uh, I've done some programs where we try to get kids a little bit more get involved with cooking. And I remember a couple of years ago when I was in Prince William, we uh, did a, uh, a little bit of an after-school program where we had a couple of chefs come in and teach the kids how to bake, and they bake cookies. And, oh. and it just kind of did. And they all had the chef hats on. So it really little, brings it alive for the it, kids. It brings it alive, yeah. man. And I remember that vividly because it was very inspirational uh, for the kids. And, and, and they develop, you know, just other ideas and other things that they can do because you're right. Not every kid, you know, is going to go to the path of wanting to go to college, but they have talents and and ideas and thoughts in their minds that they want to hone and to kind of hear you talk about that work in the school. I, for me, it's inspirational. Uh, we need more of that to get people from other side of the aisle to come into the school so the kids have options. Absolutely, no question. I remember seeing being in one of the schools and I mean, I was sitting there with a bunch of chefs and, and we we were actually getting kind of antsy. We we're like, you know, naturally we just want to feed people. Yeah. And so we're, we <laughs> we kind of wanted to jump in there and yeah, just start slinging yeah, yeah, some food yeah. and making sure these kids are getting yeah. fed. Well, and I've, I've read and heard you talk about Clint, uh, the importance of community engagement and the importance of getting yeah. parents into the schools, getting teachers out of the schools, schools so you yeah. have that information flowing both ways. Yeah, we do. You know, that's one of so one of the hallmarks, I guess you could say, about my leadership is really, um, uh, no matter where I go, uh, what school, I I always keep the mission, the mission, the vision, the vision, and that is that we always focus uh, what I call my second core belief, and that is that we as a school must be involved with the school community. Um, and that is that we have to take things to them. And, so the, uh, school, and the school doesn't live in isolation. Absolutely of, not. Community. So we're the hub. Uh, we're, the, you know, we're the leaving place where people need to be able to come in. So we, we do a lot of things along the lines of that. We, um, at the current school I am at, at Mount Vernon Woods Elementary in Fairfax, uh, one of the things that I did when I came in, this is my second year there, uh, and again, we have about 91% of our kids uh, who get free and reduced lunch. And I wanted to make sure that in order to deal with food scarcity, how do we get business partners? So we, we, we partner with Capital Area Food Bank where we do a monthly family market. And 50% of the products we provide are fresh food and vegetables. And a parent can come in once a month for the first Wednesday of the month. The market's at the school. Yes, sir. Uh, at our family market, uh, our parents uh, come shop. They shop for groceries on a monthly basis at no cost. Uh, it doesn't cost them a thing. Uh, the only thing we ask them to do is to really bring uh, a bag, a grocery bag, uh, and they can walk out easily anywhere between $75 and $80 worth of groceries. Now, Chef, restaurants are places that are uh, for employment. They're often entry-level places for a lot of um, for young people in particular. And we've talked to lots of chefs and restaurateurs who tell us that you know, a lot of their employees have either come out of poverty or been on the edge of poverty or dealing with immigration issues or not having sufficient health insurance. What do you see in your own business as it relates to this? No, there's the amazing thing about a kitchen is uh, it's every walk of life. It is just such a melting pot. And it's absolutely true. Um, I have guys that uh, 
when, by when they've come to me, um, they've they've scraped by to get get through most of their life, but they know how to cook. And sometimes a lot of them know how to cook out of necessity. They just mm-hmm. it was the only way for them to eat. Um, and a lot of struggles um, um, with people throughout the years that I've worked with that that have struggled in 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 being able to make enough money, make ends meet. Um, and uh, feed their families, and uh, we're fortunate that, you know, being being uh, a nice hotel, then I can bring guys in and and uh, and teach them and pay them well and give them benefits, and all of a sudden, next thing you know, you're kind of breeding the few next future chefs um, of the four seasons. So it's really cool to watch these guys grow. From you know they and and hear their stories about you know not finishing high school not because they didn't want to but because they didn't have enough money uh, to to they had to they had to quit to go get a job or hmm. um, they, there's definitely there's definitely a lot of stories out there of of chefs that have struggled and then come up and next thing you know you know they're the next big thing and ready to run a Michelin star place sometime so it's it's really cool to to see the all walks of life and we really we all learn a lot from each other so wit and wisdom uh the tavern is at the four seasons we hotel are. and the four seasons in some ways like fairfax county when you think of four seasons you think of you know high-end wealth um luxury but you know there's people who work there who you know, haven't lived their whole lives that way, as you were just describing. Oh, absolutely. Um, no question. And, and when you were talking about, um, you know, they, I think you said, um, you know, they've had a hard time, but they know how to cook. Right. Um, how do you, as a as a very accomplished chef, how do you know when somebody knows how to cook? What do, what do you look for? What do you <laughs> see? You know what? I, I tell everybody I interview, honestly, that I really don't care how well you cook right now as long as you love to do it. Um, and attitude is everything. So it's the passion for it, the no, attitude. No question. Same thing in education. That's what I look for in teachers, that passion. Yeah, like if you yeah. care, that's what matters. And that's And um, they, uh, I think the quote is, I believe, Alain Ducasse says, the, the techniques are not hard to teach. It's the attitude of a chef. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, I want to see people to come in every day and smile and are happy to be there and aren't sighing at the end of the night when a new order comes in five minutes before we close the kitchen. You know, uh, it just, if you truly care about what you do, everything else falls into place. And I have, I have cooks come in all the time. You know, we'll watch them cook for a week and we're like, oh, geez, this is, this is going to be a project. And, uh, <laughs> but then, but then, next, you, you know, next thing you know, like a year later, it, it, the person's three stations deep, knows everything, is teaching people. It's really, truly, it doesn't matter where you came from culinarily. They want to be there. I Yes, I really don't care. I've, we've gotten kids from McDonald's. We've gotten kids from, you know, uh, stadiums. We've gotten kids that didn't know things weren't come frozen and dropped in a deep fryer, and that was food. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it really doesn't matter to us. It's, I'm going to teach anybody that really wants to learn. And you're yeah. saying the same is true in your world. Yeah, the same is true in my world. You know, it's two different, you know, uh, worlds, but it's the same uh, in terms of finding the right uh, teacher to teach kids of poverty. And, and, and let me say, let me just explain what I mean by that. Um, you know, we have a lot of great teachers out there who are doing a lot of great things. It is very different uh, being a teacher at a high poverty school versus a um, school with 
where the socioeconomic is astronomical, very wealthy. And the difference is because you have a lot of other social aspects that you have to deal with in a Title I school that you typically will not see. Instructionally, yes, we got to be fundamentally sound. You got to teach the kids the curriculum. But the difference is that there are going to be a lot of challenges that's going to push you. There are going to be a lot of outside factors kids bring into the door that's going to push you and make you think differently. There are going to be things that they're going to bring from home that they've seen that sometimes you just have to stop whatever you're doing to listen and walk them through it. And forget about the curriculum, forget about the instruction. It's about addressing that child at the moment. And because so, they can't take anything else you until anything. you've addressed that. Absolutely. Yeah. So you you must hire the, the 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 type of teachers who really want to do that kind of work. And I, I always say it takes a special teacher to work in a predominantly urban in a environment because it's a lot of other things that comes besides just the instruction. And so when you think about you know the chef here, you know in terms of the kitchen, there are other things that they bring, but that passion for the work. But most importantly, the passion of wanting to work with kids in poverty, that's what I look for. And if you spend in an interview telling me I, 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 I've done, as opposed to we, 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 I'm not looking your way. So you know pretty quickly. I know pretty quickly. And I know whether or not you want to work with kids, you know, that come from the communities where I work in. And so for me, it's the same world. It's that passion for what you do. Absolutely. Yeah. It, 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 there's, it's at a slight craziness. Mm-hmm. You 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 got to be like you know a little, a little <laughs> unreasonable. No, you you <laughs> have to you have to be slightly off. You have to be that passionate that you're yeah. slightly slightly off. Like why, you, why you know? would you do what you're doing? You, you know? can see exactly. it in people's eyes. Yeah. You, you look at them and you're just like, okay, yeah. all right, we can work together. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm gonna give you a quick one. So when I ask a teacher, you got this kid that's acting up in your classroom because he or she didn't have the breakfast, you try to call the mom, you can't get your email, you can't get them, what you going to do next? If I don't hear them tell me in the interview, I'm going to knock on their door, that's the problem. Okay. That's what I want to hear. Are for. you going to take the steps to walk down, half a mile down to that household, because we're a community school. I couldn't walk from my office to a parent's house in like three minutes. Are you going to knock on that door and say, hey, I need to speak to you about so-and-so because we need to address this concern. If a teacher's scared to do that in that school community, and they're not willing to do that, this is the wrong place for you. See, one of the things I look for at Share of Strength is when we, for our team because we face barriers all the time. Mm-hmm. We're trying to get schools to uh, do the breakfast program or mm-hmm. communities to set up summer meals. And whatever the obstacle is, I, I want to hear that they found a way to pick that lock. Yes. Right? So I, yes. mean, I, I understand that the door's closed and that there's a lock on it. Mm-hmm. And the question is not just like, okay, well, there was a lock on it, but did you pick it? Did you take a hammer and break it? Try did you pick it down? It down? Yeah, yeah. Because if you don't find another way to get around that, then that that's what the whole job is. And, and we call that the politics of the job, right? The politics, so of, the the politics job. of the job. You're going to have all those barriers, all those things that's going to prevent you from getting the job done. But are you the kind of teacher that's going to stop there when you hit some roadblocks? Or are you going to try to go around it to make sure the kid, uh, he or she, have what they need, and that's that's what I look for. So, but I, w- I so we you know we've talked about the commonalities. I would think one of the differences, though, for mm-hmm. you, uh, Principal Mitchell, is that um, doesn't it grind teachers down after a while? It so, does. I mean, in, yeah. the, in the kitchen, you get the joy of being able to if you're, yeah. you're doing what you love doing, and and in some ways, um, they're 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 
are obstacles to doing what they love doing because they yeah. got to work with all these other issues and it's just yeah. got to it's got to be wearing i mean you've got to see teachers burn out it is and that's my right. job to make sure that they i keep them positive yeah. and it's you know you have a high turnover i think the statistics uh, in education tell us that you know most teachers uh quit within the first three to five years on the job now that's a staggering uh-huh. statistic you got a young lady or a young man graduate from college within three years they're gone but here's the reason why they quit they quit. The number one reason why is because they didn't get the support they needed to get the job done. That's leadership. So part of my job is to make sure as a school principal that I provide them every support they need to make sure that they give the kid the best experience that day. And so, yes, you have to grind and it's going to wear you down. So one thing I did yesterday, which was very, uh, it's part of it's something I do on a, on a weekly basis. I sit down, I buy this special cards and I sit down and I, ha- I handwrite my goal is and I've accomplished it last year and this year so far almost everyone is to write someone a, a handwritten note about something that I noticed that they did throughout the course of the school year and you think this is small but it goes a long way Oh, I bet it does. Uh, because the teachers appreciate you seeing what they're doing recognizing it and even some of the notes may have a button and they were very proud and it's about trying to uplift people half my I tell people, look, I'm, I'm just the school principal. I put a vision and mission in place. You all do the work. My job is to support you and motivate you to make sure that the next day you're coming in giving the kids the best. So part of the job is motivation and keeping people and taking things off their plate. So I tell them, you're going to have parent issues, you're going to have parent concerns, but I'm going to handle it. So I don't want you to focus on that. So the tough discussion with parents, I'll, I, I'll take care of it. And teachers appreciate that so much because all they want to do is just teach, and they know that they're supported. Um, we were talking about um, how your job, Clint, is to motivate mm-hmm. the other teachers. Yeah. Um, I'd love to hear as we kind of wrap up here because we're starting to run out of time. What? How, how do you each keep yourselves motivated? What do you? Who, who's doing that for you? And who's doing that for you, Chef? <laughs> well, you know, um, you know, I'm a happy-go-lucky guy anyway, <laughs> uh, and my motivation really stems from. When I walk in each day and I see a kid uh, walks in the hallway and runs and grab my leg, a little kindergartner, five, six-year-old, and they say good morning and, hi, Dr. Mitchell. Uh, Because I know, for me, I'm starting to make a difference right then and there with this five-year-old in kindergarten. So seeing those smiling faces uh, every day motivates me. Um, You know... My big thing is I grew up in poverty, you know, and um, and I'm motivated by the fact that I'm able to give kids the opportunity to be able to accomplish uh, the things that I've done. And I talked about this at the uh, No Kid Hungry Dinner event last year. And what I said was, you know, here am I, I've accomplished everything you could in the American dream being an immigrant from the Caribbean. Uh, I have a doctoral degree from Virginia Tech. I want to give kids that opportunity. Uh, and I want to make sure that people understand that the old traditional way of educating kids in a box, uh, what I call chalk and talk, is different. Uh, and then we have to educate the whole child. And so that's my motivation. What can I do next, the next day, to make it a better experience? Uh, and then when I leave the job, uh, I go and coach soccer. 
And I do that on my, as my side gig and travel <laughs> soccer. And that keeps me grounded with yep. my kids, with my own kids. With your own kids. Uh, how many have you got? I got two. I have two girls, a 16-year-old and a 13. And, oh, no kidding. And I coach yeah. them travel soccer. And, and then that keeps me grounded because then I get the joy from that because I'm ready for the next day because I know I'm going to face some difficult situations at the, uh, at the school. What motivates you? How do you keep yourself motivated, Chef? I, I, I'm just, I consider myself lucky every day to do what I do. It's simple as that. I, that's the motivation in and of itself is just that I still pinch myself that I get to cook for a living and it's what I do. And walk into a beautiful restaurant in a beautiful hotel right on the water and it's just, um, it's been a dream come true since day one. And walking in every day, you know, I've got my kitchens already and, you know, my kitchen never closes 24 hours a day, uh, room service. So I walk in at some point and there's always cooks in the kitchen saying hi, things roaring, printers going off. Mm -hmm. And it's that chaos that kind of like, it's just, it's life, it's home. It's, it's, it's cool to see the team work. It's cool to see cooks come up and come from from low level cooks up to all the way up to sous chefs or move on to go run restaurants and um the whole gig it really is watching you know feeding people watching them smile when they like your food uh uh what clint alluded to was uh there's there's a saying there's a japanese saying that chef mina says all the time and it's called kaizen and it is mm -hmm. a it is trying to be better than the day before. And uh, and yeah. his, his saying was always, you never you never stay the same. You're either getting better or you're getting worse. So that's which correct. one did you do today? Yeah. So that's, for me, that's the thing. And I like to sit down every day like, did I get better today? What am I going to do tomorrow? Yeah. It's it's a constant learning process, question. just that's like with great. you. Absolutely, you know? yeah. it's, we're always learning. Absolutely. And if, if we think we're not learning anymore, then we're in the wrong place. Then we're in the wrong business. And I tell, the, I tell my teachers that all the time. Yeah. Every single day. And the beautiful thing about education is, and I would tell them, every single day, we get a fresh start. Absolutely. And the kids get a fresh start. And so make that fresh start, that next day, the best day. And, uh, and that's just life, man. You know, we, we live in the greatest country in the world, uh, whether it's, you know, in the chef world, uh, culinary world, whether it's the education world, you just got to make it the best day and just love what you do. Great to have you both. When uh, Clint and I come to the Four Seasons, when we come to Wit and Wisdom, what's, your, what's the one thing that we have to have on the menu? Ah, uh, well, you Don't know. leave without eating I, I, what? I, I, I'm writing it down now. I'm serious. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to call you, man. <laughs> we, you know, we're, 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 we're known for mostly, you know, we're right on the Chesapeake Bay. So, well, right right off of the Chesapeake Bay. So, you know, uh, for us, our we have fresh shellfish. Uh, oysters. Uh, if I take my crab cake off the menu, I get fired because uh, we have to. All right, have crab that's what cake I wanted to know. Hey, so. That's, that's my, all going to work that's for my Caribbean favorite, guys. Yeah, oh my yeah. god, that's yeah. my favorite thing to eat. Man. I, 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 I make a, <laughs> I, I make a pretty good crab okay. cake. So uh, at least okay. I think so. Well, <laughs> thank you guys, uh, Zach Mills from Wit and Wisdom at the Tavern at the Four Seasons at Michael Mina Tavern at the Four Seasons Restaurant in Baltimore. Uh, Thanks for being here. Thanks for your incredible generosity with Share Our Strength and the No Kid Hungry campaign. Thank you for having me. It's really a pleasure. Uh, and Principal Clint Mitchell from Mount Vernon Woods Elementary School. Uh, the work you do is just so inspiring. I could I could listen to you for another hour. But I'm, <laughs> well, thank you very I'm so much. proud that you're engaged with us and so grateful and, and I'm that looking, you are. Yeah, I'm looking forward to keep working with you all at um, you know, Share Your Strength and No Kid Hungry and No Kid Hungry VA because we just got to... Um, 
spread the revolution about making sure kids are eating and uh, eating healthy. Yep. Uh, and that's key too. You know, we could feed them, but make sure that they're healthy. And we're getting there, but we got to get across the finish yeah. line. Okay, so, you got it. Thanks both of you for being with us. Get closer to the problems that you care about. There's a famous photographer named Robert Kappa who once said, if your pictures are not good enough, you're not close enough. Well, in the social change space, getting close, bearing witness, going into the community, working with people directly, getting an understanding of what they need, that's often the precursor to really powerful transformational change. Don't just post, don't just preach. Get your hands dirty and get involved. Add Passion and Stir is distributed by District Productive. Our senior producer is Carrie Thompson. Our executive producer is Peter Ogburn. Add Passion and Stir is the creation of Billy Shore, Debbie Shore, and Paul Woody Woodhull. I'm Billy Shore. You're listening to Add Passion and Stir from Share Our Strength.